You're listening to the Live Well Radio Podcast Show. A wealth of information for a life of inspiration. And here's your host, Brett Coleman. Hey guys, today is Ask the Therapist Thursday. And our guest today is osteopathic therapist Ed Paget. Ed holds not one but two degrees. One of his degrees is in exercise and sports science. His other degree is in osteopathy. Uh, the intelligence of this man and the dedication to his career and his cause is uh, beyond impressive. His passion is to work with people who aren't just thinking about making a change, but who are ready to make a change. Ed helps his clients embrace new ways of thinking that drastically improves their overall health and well-being. And he does this through reverse engineering. He'll help you take a look, a close look, and examine the habits you've been practicing and how those habits have been creating results in your life and your current set of circumstances. And then he'll show you how to design a new blueprint and apply that blueprint to create better results for the rest of your life. Hey, Ed, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, for 11 years, you've been working one-on-one with your clients, helping them get to the root cause of their symptoms, not just for temporary pain relief, but to help them get rid of that pain forever. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, need to let, I need to let my listeners know first how I found you, because it clearly explains my reasoning to have you on this show. Um, I've had back pain, I would say, since 2000 and our boy was born 2014, 2012, I think from 2012, 2013, every day since then, my lower back was in pain. And I got to a point where I just didn't want to hand, uh, I couldn't tolerate the pain anymore. And I didn't want to start taking popping pills and doing any of that stuff. So I went online about six or eight weeks ago, and I did a quick search on YouTube. Your video that I found, and I have to tell you this, was life-changing, and I can see why you have over one million hits on that video. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. So oh, My pleasure. Thank you. So let me ask you something. When did you start all this, Ed? Well, um, my, my first degree was in exercise and sports science. So I've, so I've really been working with people since uh, the early 2000s. And then uh, I took a natural progression into wanting to become better at helping people recover from injury and pain. So that led to osteopathy. And then through my osteopathy training, um, I started doing some courses with a physiotherapist in the, in the U.S. called Gary Gray, who runs the Gray Institute. And then he opened my eyes to a, a more of a movement-based therapy. So rather than seeing a therapist and uh, relying on the therapist to fix you with their hands, uh, you could use movements in a specific way to fix yourself. And I thought that was really powerful because, you know, there's people all over the world who can't, one can't afford a therapist or a therapist isn't in their area. So I made that video on scoliosis to help people all around the world. And, and uh, I'm glad you found it. I'm glad it helped you. And, and I have emails literally every day from people in Africa and India and even China saying thank you for, for that um, YouTube video. So my channel has a whole bunch of videos on from hip pain to ankle pain to shoulder pain. And I want to get the, the message out there that people can empower themselves through movement. What's that feel like, Ed, to be helping 
millions of people across the world. What, what, what kind of feeling do you get from that? Oh, it, it, it's a good feeling, that's for sure. I mean, I feel there's so much uh, misinformation out there, um, both from the uh, complementary alternative health field and from the mainstream medical field, and people are a bit lost. And they've got nothing to lose by trying something themselves. It doesn't cost them any money. Do a few movements, and if they get better, that's great. If they don't get better, then maybe they go down a different route. Yeah, so just because somebody has... Uh, a curvature of the spine. Does that does that mean they have scoliosis? Uh, not necessarily. So 2% of the population have a thing called idiopathic scoliosis. It means it just comes probably during adolescence for no, for no known reason. And beyond, also underneath a certain degrees, it's pretty common. Um, we, don't, we don't worry about that. Then uh, you have people who have a curvature of the spine that disappears when they sit down or lie down. Um, we call that a functional scoliosis. So imagine if one leg is longer on one side of your body and your pelvis is tilted. When you stand up, you're going to have uh, a correction in your spine to get your eyes level. That's called a functional scoliosis because when you lie down, it will go away. However, that can, over time, change into what we call a structural scoliosis where the bones and ligaments and muscles all change a little bit to make the curve more permanent. Um, so not everyone who has a curve in the spine has a scoliosis, but everyone who has a scoliosis has a curve in the spine. That makes sense. All right. And surgery is not always the first option. Well, no, it shouldn't be the first option because uh, once you have surgery, you can't go back. And once you have a surgery, especially if you're a teen, imagine a teenage girl you know, you've got this scoliosis and um, one rib's pushing back out a little bit on the, around the shoulder blade area. Maybe a rib at the front is pushing out and you're worried about how it looks. But functionally, you can do everything. You can touch your toes, you can dance, you're not in pain. So that person, that, that girl can move and operate just fine in the world. But once they have a, a surgery where they would fuse some of those vertebrae, uh, they cannot operate to full function in the world because the spine doesn't move. So interestingly, when I was doing research for some of my online um, information, I found that the, the scoliosis surgeons are generally not thought of that highly in the surgical hierarchy because they're taking a person who could be fully functional and making them non-functional, whereas most of the other surgeons are taking someone who's non-functional, uh, i.e. Uh, arthritic knee that doesn't move, and putting in a, uh, a new knee and making someone functional again. So scoliosis surgeons uh, do the opposite. Having said that, they also operate on severe scoliosis, uh, which uh, can be life-threatening and affect the heart and lungs. So in that case, they're doing a fantastic job. How does somebody know if they are in a life-threatening situation with scoliosis? What are the symptoms and signs, Ed? Well, it's, uh, the curve is over 90 degrees. So they, they, would, know, they would be very bent, bent over. Imagine your, your spine is going up and then suddenly there's a 90-degree curve. Uh, you know about that. Um, it would be diagnosed on x-ray. Um, so I, I don't think anyone would get to 90 degrees without knowing about it. I think uh, you would know about it beforehand. However, if, let's say, they're in a, a developing country, and there's no screening and so on, it would be pressure on the lungs, so it would be breathing problems, and pressure on the heart, so there'll be circuitry problems as well. Okay. Uh, you had mentioned something about a girl. Are girls, adolescent girls, more prone than boys, or is it not irrelevant? No, girls, for some reason, girls are more um, susceptible than boys. So they're, they, 
The research isn't 100% clear on why that is, but logically we know it's something to do with the hormones. We just don't know what hormone and, and why, but there's definitely a, a hormonal element there. I see. You have seen thousands upon thousands of clients in the last several years. Do most clients that come to you uh, avoid surgery? Um, well, my practice is a general practice. So I don't uh, I don't just see people with scoliosis. Um, so I see people with all sorts of injuries. But the ones who come with scoliosis are generally looking for an alternative approach. So um, the other approaches for surgery, the one thing before surgery is a brace. Uh, so it would be a brace that holds the spine in a certain position. And that can be tough for a, for a young teenage girl to wear as well. You have to wear these things up to 20 hours a day. So you sleep in them and take them off just to bathe. Um, so I generally see people who don't want the brace and who don't want the um, surgery. So the surgery, you said the brace is 20 hours a day. 20 hours a day. And uh, people don't generally want to wear that. So I help them through exercise, avoid the brace and avoid the surgery. I see. So since the last eight weeks, six to eight weeks, what I've been doing of your your exercises, I actually stand on a one inch thick uh, platform, piece of wood, yeah, and I do those stretching exercises, and immediately, Ed, and, and, I, and I hope you feel the weight of my sincerity here. The immediate immediate response to my body was pain free. Uh, I kept doing it, of course, but the more I did it, the less pain I felt. I said, I can't stop doing this because it feels too good. Uh, and to to stop. So what what's ha- what's happening when I do this? So I I do it at home in the morning every single morning for the last six to eight weeks. I st- get up out of bed, do your suggested stretches, and then also at the gym I'll do the same thing, and and the pain is is amazingly different. Perfect. So what's so, happening? Well, what's happening is this: when we stand up. Gravity is pushing your head down towards the ground. It's pushing your whole body down towards the ground. And our spine is designed to resist gravity and bend a little bit through the lower back forward. So that's that lumbar kind of arch we have. And then bend a little bit through the upper back backwards, which is that kind of um, sort of rounded bit we have where our shoulders are. Now in scoliosis, you have, uh, if it's an S-shaped scoliosis, you have two extra curves. And so gravity now is pushing those curves down as well. And so what you're doing with the exercises is, one, you're stretching out the tightness in the muscles and you're relieving pressure in the joints that gravity is causing. And two, because there's a strength component in those exercises, you're actually strengthening the muscles to help derotate and uh, to straighten up those curves. So the joints and the ligaments um, and whatever the structures are that are getting irritated are having the pressure relieved off them by the stretching and then having the pressure relieved off them by the muscle strengthening later on. So depending on the severity and the curvature, is it possible to get back to, to a normal straight spine with these exercises? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I, c- I can't say for sure. Everyone is different. Um, everyone's motivation is different and everyone's curve is slightly different. But what I like to think is this. Uh, over the age of 55, it's been proven that your curve will increase one degree a year if you do nothing. So if we can say, okay, you're 55 years old, we know at 65 you're going to go from a 20 degree to a 30 degree or a 30 degree to a 40 degree. That's, that's well proven in the literature. 
if we can do the exercises, the stretching and the strengthening, and slow down that to maybe just a five-degree increase, then I'm happy. So that's, that should be an easy goal. Then I would say, okay, if we know it's going to increase one degree a year and we measure you 10 years apart and your spine hasn't increased any curves, we've stopped the progression. That's a fantastic goal. And then if we say the same thing, we'll measure you 10 years apart and you've reduced it a couple of degrees, that's even better because we've slowed it down, we've stopped it, and then we've reduced it. So that's, that's my ultimate goal for people doing these exercises. But I'll also take a slowing down um, because we know that left to its own devices, it will get worse. Sure. And some of the indicators you look for are quality of movement in a person's body. Explain this a little bit to our listeners. Okay. So that would be quality of movement uh, anywhere in the body. So, for example, with this scoliosis, let's say uh, the person's had an old knee injury. Um, perhaps they had a, a, um, a surgery on there or something, and it doesn't quite straighten properly. Because it doesn't straighten properly, the pelvis on that same side would be tilted down, dropped down, and that would feed into their scoliosis. It would mean the spine isn't coming off a level platform of the pelvis. So I want to look for the movement in their knee to see if I can restore that as much as possible to help the pelvis to help their spine. So I really look at the whole body as being interconnected. And we can take that right down to a bunion on the, on the big toe. Uh, bunion is where the, the toe moves to the side. It moves laterally. And that means the foot sometimes drops down and in. And that pulls with it the leg, which pulls with the pelvis, which can then affect the, the spine. And so I'm looking for quality of movement of like someone's big toe right up to the quality of movement of their eyeballs to make sure they're working. And I'll, I'll explain the eyeballs real quick as well. If, um, if an object is moving towards you, your eyes move to, together like uh, in the cross-eyed type position. It's called convergence. And if one eye can converge better than the other eye, to keep the object in focus, you would turn your head a little bit to keep it in focus. So if someone, every time something comes towards someone or they bring a book to within reading distance, they turn their head slightly, that's going to rotate their spine every time they do it and perhaps feed into their scoliosis. So the quality of movement is subtle, but you have to look at the whole body and think, how is this affecting the person? And is this something I can change? And movement uh, will manifest differently in, in, in amongst people. Yeah, differently in children to adults, differently in sometimes uh, trained uh, fitness professionals and, and untrained sedentary office workers. Uh, people will move differently, yes. Mm-hmm. And your ultimate goal, Ed, is to really help people be their best uh, given their unique lifestyle and experiences. Yeah, that's right. We don't. I don't want everyone to to be an athlete, but if they're performing to their best, then that's good enough for me, whatever their best is. Do certain people, are certain people's lifestyles, I probably already know the answer to this question, but I want to hear it from a professional. Certain people have lifestyles that are uh, counterproductive to their (laughs) health. Well, yeah. So, yes, definitely. If you think about it, everything from the neck down is designed for two things. Well, three, I guess. But the first thing is designed for movement. Everything from the neck down is designed to move your brain around, to move your eyes around, for you to experience the world. So if we're not moving, then we're not utilizing most of our body the right way. Then we've got our guts and all that sort of stuff in the middle. That's designed to digest food and turn that into uh, fuel and, and building blocks of life. And then obviously there's the, uh, the procreation aspect of, uh, of life as well. So there are three things. 
if a person is uh, sedentary, mainly office-bound, they're not using their body properly. And the more research that goes into this sedentary office-working lifestyle, it's showing us that you have increased risk of um, all sorts of cancers, diabetes, uh, and even Alzheimer's is now coming up as a, as a factor for being a, a sedentary life because the brain and the body work together to solve problems. Um, there's, a, there's a big movement in the physical education world for children called physical literacy. Uh, there's also something where we're giving children problems to solve, like an obstacle, so they have to solve it using their brain and their body at the same time, and that's being shown to have a greater uh, impact on their learning capabilities. So rather than just solving it mentally or just solving it physically, if you're doing both, if you're mentally and physically approaching a problem, uh, it's better for you. So Ed, you and I both know you really can't make anybody do, they don't, you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. So in your situation, people are coming to you with issues mm -hmm. uh, and problems and discomfort and pain. How do you encourage these clients in a way that's going to help change their mindset to start doing some things that can improve their results. The way I like to do that is to find their goal, is to find out their, their why to be improving. Um, so we sit down and I, and I ask them and I say, okay, so what's the problem? Blah, blah, blah. What, what is it that you can't do? Uh, they usually tell me. And what is it that you want to do? And that's the, that's the open-ended question. Um, so with the scoliosis, for example, um, they, I, get, I get the question quite a lot from people in their sort of 50s to 60s where it's like, well, I'm getting a little bit of back pain, I'm stiffening up, um, but I'm coming to retirement age and now I want to do this amazing trek into Africa. Okay, right, the trek into Africa is important. Do you want to be the person that can't leave the car and can't help with the suitcases and all that sort of stuff because your back is sore and not strong enough? Or do you want to be the person who can immerse themselves fully in the experience? You know, nine times out of ten, it's going to be, yes, I want to be the person who can immerse themselves in the experience. Okay, well, that's what we're going to aim for. And so I pin it to a goal, and once you've got that goal in mind, it becomes quite easy and almost logical, the, uh, the rehab and progressions. I see. So what you just said makes perfect sense because now it's more than an idea. It's a vision. And when you, when you have an emotional attachment to something, uh, you're driven by that. So that makes com complete sense. I'm a why guy. I, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I get high in whys. I really, really am driven by the why. Uh, you have a five-year-old son. We hear him in the background. He's having a great time today. I'm sure he is. It's a, uh, how, do you, how do you start with somebody so young and make daily habits routine that's going to help them later on in life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think... Um yeah, I think that some of the answer is modeling. Um, you know, if, if he sees me doing things, he's more likely to adopt those things um, for sure. And I think exposing uh, them to the opportunity. So um, I'll just back up today. We, my wife and I um, ran a, an osteopathic clinic up here in Calgary, and we wanted to expand to have a, a movement center. And we call it the natural movement center so people can um, work on the plethora of natural movements from crawling to, to jumping to climbing to throwing um, things that our body is designed to do and I wasn't I was on a commute coming in and out of work and I wasn't going to the gym as much as I wanted to and I said to her you know if we run this movement center this can if anything else if all else fails this will be our personal gym and so we put it right next to where we work 
And so uh, we made it. We made it a habit to come. And now I'm here right now at the movement center with my son. And I left him alone for a little bit while I was catching up with some work. And I turned around and he's made a whole assault course in the natural movement center with balance beams and jumping blocks, cones and everything. So he's obviously picked it up. And I think that's from from uh, observation and from having the opportunity to do it as well. Sure. So we know who's going to take over the business when you retire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's learning from his old man. That's right. So have you always been healthy, Ed? I've always been healthy. Uh yeah, I mean, I've had my fair share of sporting injuries, and, and you get a, a sporting injury, and, and you, I, I know a, a lot about knee problems and elbow problems, and, uh, and interestingly, I used to have back pain as well, a lot of back pain. Um, that's what actually got me into osteopathy, and the the way it was handled by uh, my practitioners at the time, who weren't osteopaths, I really didn't like, and, and the more I understand about the, the mindset behind it, the more I realized that it was damaging going to see um, a therapist who said to me, oh, look at this x-ray, you've got five different problems, they're all structural, we can't do anything about those, but um, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to end up in a lot of pain. And that's essentially what I was told uh, from my x-ray. And now what I realize is that most of those things that I had on x-ray are just incidental. Most people have them, they don't really cause any problems. But at the time when I was having back pain and it would twinge, I was like, oh, maybe I made that, that I have a thing called a spondylolisthesis, which is a slippage of one of the the vertebra in the lower back. I was like, oh, maybe I just made that worse, or maybe I shouldn't miss this. So I was living in fear of making my back worse because of what I was told was on my x-ray. And then what happened is my back got weaker, and the weaker it got, the more it hurt. Um, so it was a vicious cycle. And then when I realized that actually the, the only way to fix this spondylolisthesis is to actually work the back, make it stronger, my back pain cleared up and I'm um, getting healthy again. What exercises played a role in that, Ed? Oh, uh, yeah, no no one exercise. If I had the one exercise for lower back pain, I'd be a very rich man. So, no, it's, it's a plethora of, of whole, whole body exercises, everything from my the, the way the calves work right up to the, to the muscles that hold on to the top of my neck. So that's why I like the natural movement approach. It's not broken out uh, segmentally so much. It's more whole body. Who was your biggest mentor in changing things around for you? You know, um, I have a few mentors, but I'd, I'd have to say... Uh, that Gary Gray um, was my main mentor. He was the one who introduced me into the way to treat scoliosis, and he was the one who introduced me into what he calls chain reaction biomechanics, the way you place your foot can affect your uh, hip, which can affect your back, which can affect your shoulder. And I, and I didn't really look at the body like that before uh, and, um, until I met him. Mm -hmm. And I want to touch upon this because I think it's very important. I know you have a, a, a busy day, you're, fu you're fully booked, but what I want to touch upon before we let you go is how does food intolerance, intolerances uh, lead to some of these root causes that people are having? Yeah, that's a good question. So we actually, uh, through our osteopathic practice, we were using our hands to help people. And then we employed a, a naturopathic doctor a while back and we worked really well uh, with them because we were like, okay, this person's got this shoulder ache, and then they've also got this neck pain. They've also got a headache, and they've also got knee pain. And we're like, well, how does this one person have all these problems? And so if you look at it like that, what is the one thing that connects all those parts of the body on the inside, and it's probably through the blood? And so, well, is there something in the blood that's causing inflammation? And as the, um, as the sort of testing got better for food intolerances, we found out that, sure enough, a lot of people with uh, hard-to-resolve problems actually have an underlying food intolerance. So 
the classics of wheat and uh, gluten and, and dairy, we found quite a lot. And we asked people to uh, go on an elimination diet and just see what happens. And if it comes back that they feel 100% better, their headaches have gone and their back pain's cleared up, well, I mean, that, that, that's, the, that's the proof that we need. And also we do um, a 21-day sugar detox uh, because I find sugar um, is not so much an intolerance, but it creates uh, an inflammation in the body. And I've managed to help people get rid of like nerve pain shooting down their arms and nagging back pain, digestive complaints, just from decreasing the amount of sugar they have in their diet. Sugar is on the top of that list. It really is. And then uh, number two has got to be stress. I mean, it, stress is uh, has a, a completely negative impact on a person's body. Oh, hugely. Uh, and I'm sure you're seeing that. And if, per, if people can learn how to de-stress, uh, decompress, relax, what are some tips you offer people to help them do that? Yeah, that's uh, another great question. There's, I mean, it's tough. We live in this world of, you know, go, go, go. You got to pay the bills, got to pay the mortgage. We don't sleep enough. Sleep is a stress on the body. We don't drink enough. Being dehydrated is a stress on the body. We don't eat right. That's a stress on the body. And then on top of that, we have stress. And so, yeah, how, how do you deal with that? So getting rid of the stress is what I found the hardest thing. So it's really how do you cope with the stress? We Let's, let's acknowledge it. It's not going to go away, uh, but we can change we can change our body's reaction to it. So I'm a real fan of the of the app Headspace for meditation for people who don't really meditate very much. And I'm also a fan of movement meditation. So um it's a practice called Qigong, which is like uh Tai Chi. Um so it's gentle, slow movements working on breath. And I find for the for the fidgeters who can't sit and meditate, that's a really good one. Um and then, you know, a concept that I got from Paul Check, who's an exercise physiologist is working in, not working out. So when you work out, you're expending energy and you're creating stress in your body. But when you're working in, you're still moving. You're stretching and moving slowly, working on balance, but you're not stressing the body as much. So those, those are my kind of tips for, for managing the stress. That's great. And don't you feel, uh, it's been my personal experience, and you might agree with this, that stress, a lot of it, I would say 90% of stress is based on uh, perception how we perceive it. <laughs> That's so funny, yeah. There's a, there's a guy called Bruce Lipton. Have you heard of Bruce Lipton? I have. Yeah, so I'm actually spending a week with Bruce Lipton uh, next next week in a thing called a Sundance, which is um, a First Nation or Indigenous na uh, people's um, celebration of the summer. And so Bruce Lipton has written these books about how the cell uh, can only um, replicate when it's told to do that via the chemicals outside the cell. The chemicals outside the cell are, are, are mediated in our body, but essentially produced from our perception. Our perception of the world, if it's stressful, will have stress chemicals inside us. The cells will reproduce surrounded in stress chemicals. So if our perception is, the, is of stress, it can change the way our chemistry is, which can change the way our physical body is. And so you're right. If we can change our perception, we can change the, the chemical soup in which our cells are bathed in, and then we can actually change our bodies. Perception is key. And Bruce Lipton, is, uh, his book, um, The Biology of Belief, is an amazing book for that. Yes. And, you know, Bruce could probably have an entire uh, three or four week course on how to do that. If, when you see Bruce, tell him to give me a call. <laughs> He's invited on the, on the Live Well Radio podcast show anytime he wants. You know, Joe, Joe, Joe Dispenza, uh, you know, Joe, 
Yep. He's another one of those uh, guys who, who shares that insight. And I, and I firmly believe that he, he shows how cancer cells uh, can be produced in the body through uh, stressful uh, lifestyle habits. So everything these guys are saying is spot on. So as we wrap up here, I need to ask you, how can people find you? Uh, there's a few places they can find me. So for scoliosis, um, for, the, for the video you watched, that's on my YouTube channel. So that's YouTube slash Ed, Ed Paget, P-A-G-E-T. Um, then I have actually a product that's in more detail. I've taken that video and I've broken it into 180 different videos telling people everything from why scoliosis happens to all the lifestyle changes that they can make to help their scoliosis. And that's called the, uh, the Scoliosis Correction Protocol. Um, and then that's uh, scoliosiscorrectionprotocol.com. And then lastly, I have my own website as well, edpaget.com. E-D-P-A-G-E-T, edpaget.com. That's right. Yeah. And you're up there in Calgary. Uh, at the moment I am, but interestingly, um, you know, I'm going to practice what I preach. I, I practiced that I couldn't get to a gym, so I built one. Uh, and now I'm practicing the de-stressful de- lifestyle. So I'm actually... Um, finishing on Monday, strange enough, yeah, I didn't tell you this earlier, and my wife and I are taking our kids out of school and we're going on a three to five year world around, around the world tour um, looking for people who practice healing. And we're starting in Central America. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so so really won't, people won't be able to find me in one place, but if they, if they go to any of those resources, they'll see where I am in the world. Safe travels to you, Ed. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And one last question for you is, your life is a book. What's the title of that book? Uh, it's called Community Table. And uh, it's a cookbook where we, we interviewed everyone that we've uh, met in Calgary who would, in the nutrition and health world, and we asked them for one recipe. And so she's put all those recipes together and produced this kind of collaborative work called The Community Table. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a physical book, but I'm saying if your life, your life, Ed Padgett's oh, life. Oh, I said my wife. No. So my wife. <laughs> oh, now we learned something new when your wife has a I cookbook. Like that's great. Yeah, she does. That's wonderful. <laughs> now let's get back to you for a second. If your life, if your life was a, a, a book, what would the title of that book be? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I have a slogan on my website, which I really like, and it, and it, and it says combining ancient wisdom with modern science. And I think that's, that's, if I was to write a book, that's what it would be. There would be a lot of this ancient stuff. Um, why did these people do this? And what does modern science say about it? And let's combine the two. I think that sums it up perfectly, Ed. And I want to say thank you again for your time. We'd love to have you back. I know you're heading out to the world. Have safe travels. Make the impact. People appreciate you every single day of their lives. And we can't thank you enough for doing what you do. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Pleasure. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.